0: only 38 at the time. So yeah, his concern was this is going to look bad.
1: Here she comes in a suit and tie. Shepherds bush and a leopard's pie She's marching to the phone. Of James Brown and his dancing feet are gonna set your fish on fire. Uh, it's the whipping of desire, so please do not resist your fate. I'll pick you up. Yes, it's a day. a lot of in a lyrical case be sure to write it in your book i promise not to look. i want to smell your sunny face a funny place but it's never a waste i'd hop this fence to make amends i hope this movie never ends how could i forget to mention the bicycle is a good invention Make it up, making you my business A funny but I'm gonna live a forgiveness Every day's both side of facing Heaven knows I'm on the case So how could I forget to mention the bicycle Somebody told the world The beauty of your birth Michael. I heard
2: This is May 1st Bike Talk, so today we're going to hear just a little bit of NPR, the story, the story of somebody who made a resolution on New Year's to live car-free for 2009. I don't know if this is plagiarism or what, but I'm going to do it since we're an unauthorized radio station. So this is the Gubbins experiment from the story from NPR, but this is on Kill Radio, and this is on KPFK.org.
3: Both Bill Gascoigne and Kyle Manx are unemployed. They're both well-educated. They have lots of on-the-job experience, but that hasn't helped either one of
4: them. Early on, they decided that staying motivated was key. You have to do your job searches, you have to do your resumes, you have to do the traditional route of getting a job, even though you know, for me, two years of the, the traditional route has paid very little dividends as far as even interviews.
5: After a couple months, it's okay, well I hope I can get something in my field and then I'll, I'll take a pretty decent pay cut. A few months after that, it's I, I hope I can get something in my field. You know, Pretty soon, it's I, I hope somebody wants to hire me for something. Bill and Kyle
3: have gone a step further. They've started their own organization, a meeting group for other unemployed men. They call it the Brotherhood of Unemployed Men, or B-U-M-S. And they meet once a week, every Tuesday afternoon, in a bar. I'm Dick Gordon. This is The Story.
4: This Story is produced by North Carolina Public Radio, WUNC. It's co-produced by American Public Media.
3: Coming up later this hour, I'll talk with a man who resolved to not use a car for a year, to not even get inside someone else's car. First, though, to the brotherhood. There's no real shift in the national unemployment figures. As of last month, 9.7% of the workforce remains unemployed. Bill Gascoigne is one of them. He's been out of work for over two years. Kyle Manx lost his job last fall. They're in charge of the Brotherhood of Unemployed Men, or BUMs. Bill's the one who first put a name to it.
4: My wife and I were sitting out in the sun on a Saturday afternoon. She was reading her book, and I was contemplating about unemployment and what my next step needs to be. Um, And I I kind of was getting tired of the... The morning coffee club networking groups where everybody shows up in a suit and tie and they have their two-minute elevator speech prepared. And These
3: are formal, sort of organizationally run groups?
4: A- a- absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, and, and they're all over the place. They're, they're at coffee houses, a lot of churches, community centers, that type of thing. And they all seem to take place in the mornings and everybody dresses up. And it, yeah. it's, a, it's a very stiff, rigid environment. And I got thinking, you know, we, we need to do something other than that. And I'm sitting there and, and I just started laughing because the name came to me. But originally it wasn't Bums. Well, it was Bums, but originally it was the Bitter Unemployed Men's Society. <laughs> and uh, so my wife and I were kind of laughing about that. And
5: uh, and so, so that was running around my head for a little bit. And my wife worked with Kyle. She had actually encouraged me to, to um, get in touch with her husband. She said, you know, you're both unemployed. Uh, you guys could, uh, maybe you can hang out a couple of days a week. My husband's got this crazy idea for a, a networking group. So uh, you know, I contacted Bill, and we uh, started making plans. We, we started meeting regularly and talking about our, our ideas.
3: What, what was it about the idea that Bill
5: had that appealed to you?
3: Can you recall back to when you talked about it for the first time?
5: Sure. Well, we've both been to these the coffee clubs that, that Bill had mentioned before, and I've never found them helpful. I mean, I mean, some people are in suit and tie. And first thing in the morning, and they they come to these these meetings with their portfolios and their resumes, and they sit down and introduce themselves to a complete stranger and say, "Well, here's my resume." And had you guys tried this, the two of you?
4: Yeah. Yep. And and that that was again part of the motivation. I mean, I was out there thinking, there, it's not about handing resumes out. It's about building relationships and getting to know the the character of somebody else before you might. Put them in touch with a friend or somebody to, that could help them out, or to even take interest in helping them it's out. Like you're not really going
3: to give the email of your best friend to exactly. someone to unless some you know who you just that one met. Is. Absolutely. But,
4: but that's the whole premise behind all these other clubs, that these these
5: meetings we're going to is, okay. or, or they, or or you think they're a hiring manager, and, and you know you're handing your resume off to some guy, going, "It's nice to meet you. This is what my background is." And that guy goes, well, "I I don't have a job. I'm unemployed. Also, it's nice to meet you, but."
0: I can't help you.
5: (laughs) And so you thought, yeah, that's... It's got to be a better way.
3: When Kyle Manx and Bill Gascoigne met for the first time, Kyle was still technically employed, but he knew his time was running out. See, Kyle had a contract position with a large health insurance firm. He'd set up and maintained the database for this work group, and they'd kept
5: promising him a permanent job. And then, boom, hiring freeze. All of a sudden, you know, we can't hire you right now there's there's nothing we can do but please stay with us we're gonna move you permanent your job is safe we're gonna bring you on don't worry so end of 2008 they were still working on their their reorganization beginning of 2009 all of a sudden all contracts mine went to a thirty-day status which means every thirty days uh, they had to be renewed and contractors all around me, they were dropping off like flies. I mean, I literally came into the office one day, and I said, uh, "You know, where's where's John?" Oh, John, John's last day was yesterday at five o'clock. He he was done. But so when did when did that happen? Around four o'clock, they told him, "Turning your computer, your your is over." So I I was very nervous. This was starting in January. Went and talked to my management. They said, "No, your job is fine." It, it's true that it's every 30 days that we have to renew, but we have every intention of bringing you on. Don't worry. So I, I stayed with them. And then um, finally, my job was posted. So as soon as I saw it on the computer, this, you know my job was posted. This was I, the permanent job that you had the, been told to expect for two years, right? This was the permanent job. Well, I was told to expect it for a, a year and a half. Okay. I, I applied for it, and I thought, okay, perfect. It was up for all of one day. I applied, and then they took it down. I said, that's a good sign. Oh, because m-
3: my name's in there, my and name's it was in my there. job.
5: <laughs> that's exactly right. Only you know, three weeks later, I still hadn't been interviewed. So I approached my management. And I said, what's going on? I said, no, nothing to worry about. Everything's fine. A few days later, I got a call from my uh, contract company. And uh, it was very cryptic. A guy called me, and he said, has anybody talked to you? I said, no, and hello, nice to talk to you. <laughs> and the guy goes, oh, yeah, uh, nice to talk to you. Anyway, uh, your contract's terminated. I said, what? He says, yeah, they've they're completely cut it. They're going to keep you on for uh, another few weeks, but um, you're, you're out. You, they're not going to hire you permanently.
3: This so, wasn't even coming from the company that you worked was This even, was the contract? This was the contract
5: company, okay. yes. Yeah, so not even my, my, the management that I saw on a daily basis um, talked to me. So I then had to go back to my management and said, I just found out some disturbing news. Can you share anything with me now? And my management at the time, uh, she said, yes, come on in. she called me into her office, closed the door. And she said, unfortunately, we can't hire you. I said, well, what exactly is the problem? She said, well, we've got an internal employee who was being displaced from her job. They were eliminating her job. And so we had to give her your position, the position that we created specifically for you. Was we- this
3: person trained to do this work?
5: No. And I said, you had to give her this, this job? And she said, yeah, we had to. You understand, right? She's an internal employee and you're not, so we kind of have to take care of our in- internal people. And then she said, oh, by the way, she's going to need training. Would you mind staying on for another five weeks to, um, to train her to do your job? I said, Ow. "Really? <laughs> she she has no experience. No, she has she has no experience doing this. Can you train her? So, if I had quit, I wouldn't be eligible for any any kind of benefits, my unemployment benefits, which yeah, I, I needed. I so I was I, mean, I was really kind of trapped. I had to train her. So what, I did. Um,
3: how did you tell your wife the news of that day?
5: I I phoned her immediately, and. She, uh, she, she works for a small uh, orthopedic clinic, and uh, she's an x-ray tech, and she wasn't immediately able to take my phone call. I just left her a message. I said, you, you need to give me a call as soon as you get this message. Uh, she called me about an hour later, and she said, what's going on? I said, I've just been laid off. And uh, after a very long pause, uh, she said, uh, don't worry. We'll get through this. What were you thinking? I was de- devastated. <laughs> I mean, what was I going to do? It, it's emotionally, it's very, very difficult to uh, to find out that I mean, you're you're gone. You're you're. There's how are you going to provide for your family?
3: You're listening to the story. I'm Dick Gordon. Kyle Manx and Bill Gascoigne talked with each other about their own experiences with unemployment. Those months of wondering what's next. And asking themselves about the effect of that on who they are.
5: Most men identify who they are by what they do. You walk into a room and you introduce yourself to the first time to somebody, you know, hi, my name is Kyle Manx, nice to meet you. First question out of that person's mouth is, so Kyle, what do you do? I I do nothing, I have no job, I... You know, what am I going to say? What's my, what's my response? You know, I, I used to do such and such, but now I'm unemployed. And when you start off a conversation that way, it, it starts to spiral down, and you know, immediately people say, "Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm, you know, I'm sorry that you're having such a, a difficult time." And and um, boy, that's that's really rough. And the conversation ends, or they back away. And- yeah, because you know, you I, I might as well be telling somebody. That um, You've just come from a funeral or something. Exactly, you've just come from a funeral.
4: <laughs> the, the old adage, you know, two conversations you never have at a dinner party is politics and religion. Well, throw unemployment in there. Yeah. You know, it's just a, it's a depressing topic. Nobody wants to talk about it. And- so
2: you're listening to uh, something from NPR's the story, and I haven't heard about bikes yet, so I'm going to pause and take a call from Glenn Bailey, who is the chairperson of the LABC bicycle advisory committee so right now I'm just waiting to call in for the call
4: well we could keep listening to this you know like Kyle said you know there's a right or wrong a a lot of men identify who they are to a large extent with their with their profession right I mean a lot of it is is, it's family and profession tell me something though
0: Bailey. Hey, Glenn. How are you doing? Okay.
2: Well, what's going on? I mean, well, first, could you just uh, tell us who you are and
0: the name of your committee? Right. Um, this is Glenn Bailey, and I'm on the uh, City of Los Angeles Bicycle Advisory Committee, and I'm its current chairperson.
2: Okay. And so what what's going on uh, this week or uh, this month or
0: in general? <laughs> well, actually, <laughs> there's a lot going on this month because of the uh, Bike to bike to work, bike month, bike week, that sort of thing. But actually, um, I wanted to talk about what went on last month, i.e., April, um, particularly in the last two weeks, um, with regards to City of Los Angeles Measure R funding, which was uh, a um, roller coaster of uh, effort from a lot of folks, uh, bicyclists and the Los Angeles County Bicycle Coalition, and I uh, participate in that as well.
2: What is Measure R? Uh,
0: measure R was the half-cent sales tax that was approved by the voters last year um, that's dedicated for transportation um, improvements. Mm-hmm. So, the, this is, so this is the first funding cycle, and, and the, um, the proposal was to get some money set aside for bicycling and pedestrian projects. And so that's been going through the city processes to the uh, city transportation committee and then hit the full city council um, um, this past week as far as uh, making a decision, a policy decision about um, how much money and so there was... Uh, the proposal initially started up as 5% of the monies for bikes and 5% for pedestrian projects, and that evolved to um, 10% for a combination, and so that was what was being pushed, and um, it did have the support of the city department staff, etc. but what happened was that... Um, one of the council members uh, made a motion to say to change that language slightly, but a big difference in that was to make it a um, m- basically a maximum up to ten percent.
2: Which council member? Uh,
0: that, the motion was made by Council Member Parks. Oh, yeah. Seconded by Council member Smith, um, as I recall, and. Um, That um, that, you know, there's a big difference between saying a set amount of ten percent versus up to ten percent because up to could mean basically zero or one percent or whatever. So it was uh, stakes were pretty high there. So that was uh, you know the bicyclists weighed in. There was a lot of uh, uh, discussion amongst most of the council members. Um, There was even another motion put in by council member. Correct, uh, that uh, to the effect of that it be a minimum of ten percent. In other words, uh-huh. it could be more than ten percent. Huh. Um, uh, which actually almost passed. It was a seven to seven vote, and you need eight votes to pass uh, uh, something on city council. So that was actually parts. kind of an interesting but show show of support for it. But anyway, the discussion amongst uh, you know certainly the cycling community and and you know, a, a good number of the council members—I I can't say it was—you know—the majority who who voted, but certainly, you know, I was counting up the numbers and probably got pretty close to that eight number. You know, actually expressed that the city's not doing enough for bicycling and hasn't for many years, and um, and so that was the argument that carried the day for that discussion.
3: So, so what what did we end up with?
0: So we ended up with the with the uh, recommendation that it be a combined ten percent uh, for both bicycling and pedestrian projects, um, and the rest it, is cars. Hmm. And the rest is cars and buses. Uh, the rest it can be transit. Uh, oh. I don't have the breakdown of all the other num- money, money, but yeah, the ninety percent of the money goes to other other uh, trans transit transportation related projects. So I don't have the breakdown on the other things uh, with me. Um, but so it's not less than, not, not more than, um, because the other money, the other 90% is divvied up amongst uh, other projects, uh, including transit and road projects, et cetera. Um, of, the, of this action, though, it's only good for this 2010-2011 uh, fiscal year. So there, that, that raises a couple of challenges. Number one, it means that um, the responsible agency, which right now is Department of Transportation, needs to, uh, you know, uh, show show some um, product, uh, you know, actually get some projects on the ground in a relatively short amount of time, which, um, frankly, hasn't been... Uh, in the reputation, so uh, I think we in the bicycling community will certainly need to pressure uh, the department to do that. And the, of course, the the second issue is is that when this comes up again, then next year, and it probably would be during the same time frame for making a decision about continuing this policy. Uh, you know, it, you you want to be able to show that you've actually gotten worthwhile projects, in, you know, on the ground, you know, bicycle lanes. Other other types of uh, efforts, and what that means is, is it, it's less than a year. You know, by the time that uh, the fiscal year starts July one, you know, getting the project, you know, done, and then you having to justify it for continuation for for the 2011-2012. So that's going to be a big challenge, but you know, you just got to do step at a time, and um, and of course, the city council is now going through the whole budgeting process uh as we speak um so how do you keep the pressure on the city council well certainly showing up at the hearings um you know you know the body's actually being there and applauding when they do things right and and uh, not applauding when they're when they when you did don't agree with what they're doing and certainly phone calls and emails and you know faxes especially to the council members um that people you know who are constituents of those particular council members is, is uh, very helpful so so uh, I'm sure that the different uh, bicycling organizations will uh, you know, spread the word as far as the next the next point in time which uh, this will come up but hopefully this policy decision will stand through the budgeting process that they're going through now um, it does have the support of the mayor's office as far as this 10% so that that's helpful. And um, and like I said, I think the next big challenge is then uh, you know once the budget is approved, then to uh, push Department Transportation and any of, any of the other agencies um, that might have a hand in bicycle projects to, to actually get things moving quickly and take advantage of the amount of money is about 3.2 million for a year. Yeah. So that um, you know it's not a it. It's significant for cyclists. It's not really that much when you look at a, you know, the overall city budget, of, uh, depending on which which pot of monies you look at, four to six billion dollars. So, what kind of changes can we see from this? Do you think? Well, personally, uh, you know, frankly, uh, we haven't actually all sat down and tried to figure this out. But uh, personally, I'm hoping that we can um, move. To implement some of the recommendations that have been sitting on the shelf for uh, since the 1996 approved bicycle plan, which was um, readopted uh, two times since then. So, you know, last time in 2007, to get some to get some more bike lanes uh, installed where, where people. and some of those have been done, and some of them are in the works. Um, but I'm hoping that maybe this will. Um, this will expedite that process, and I certainly think cyclists should demand it. Um, mm-hmm. I, I personally will be. So. Um, okay. Well, I
2: hope that we can keep the the pressure on.
0: Right. So, it, you know, in terms of money and what that translates into, mm-hmm. uh, bicycle lane installation, according to the city, costs twenty eight to thirty thousand dollars a mile. So, this amount of money would would provide if it was just bike lanes. Would provide for 100 miles.
6: By
0: okay. um, the course, you know, it's not just that simple to mm-hmm. put it in. But um, you know, we'll be watching them, and we'll we'll be certainly pressuring them, and we will certainly will be spreading that information, uh, you know, on your show and other other ways as we can.
2: Yeah. Okay, Glenn. Well, thank you. And when is your next meeting? When are the LABAC meetings?
0: The, the city, the city bicycle advisory committee meetings are the first Tuesday at 7 p.m of even-numbered months. The next meeting will be Tuesday, June 1st, 7 p.m. And, and the location? We meet at the Hollywood um, neighborhood city hall. Where's that? Um, now, of course, <laughs> I don't have the address memorized. Oh, well, the uh, cross streets? Um, roughly? Roughly, Wilton, um, or just below Sunset, so, uh, it's a it's a new location for you guys. You yeah, we started it. meeting there in February. Well, um,
2: okay. Anything else uh, that we should be on the lookout for, or that we should recognize?
0: Oh, there's there is a lot going on, but um, I'll just focus on that. Well, we got today. A, we got
2: a couple minutes if you want to say a couple other things.
0: Well, um, last week you'll probably I don't know if you're going to have a caller on about the bike corrals. We might. And, okay. <laughs> Um, because that's the first time that that uh, has been has been um, acted on the city of Los Angeles, and that was also last week, um, to authorize the installation of bike parking. Um, this happened to be on York Boulevard, um, uh, a, a business that was um, a coffee shop that was supportive uh, of, of replacing a car parking space with... Uh, Parking for bicycles on the street um, in an area that uh, has very limited parking and, and try to encourage more uh, more business, more patronage uh, by cyclists and accommodating them by providing parking. And so that's um, novel for the city of Los Angeles to take a car parking space and replace it with parking.
2: for. So how bike. does that work? They take a parking spot and they chop it up?
0: And they'll install uh, probably the inverted U-racks mm-hmm. um, in the parking space that parking space and accommodate, instead of one car, accommodate hopefully 10 to 12 bicycles. And the city's putting some money into that? Actually, the city is not putting any money into it, mm-hmm. um, is my understanding, is that it's being funded by um, the, the local businesses. I, poss- I think the neighborhood council is putting in some money, and so, so it actually is more of a policy decision, and if it's successful, hopefully other business districts throughout the city might... Um, ask for a similar, uh, a similar accommodation. The issue is it's up to the city to give permission for such a use in a public street. To, you know, it, the city has to decide, okay, it's okay to take a car parking space to do this. So. Mm-hmm. But so, it looks uh, like they're going to do it. So they did vote to uh, to authorize that to be done. So um. Okay, good. And anything else? Um. Well, again, a lot of things are, uh, may come up during the budgeting, the budget process. Uh, you know, the city's got some financial challenges, and so that does impact what we can and can't get done as far as um, uh, the city resources. Um, I, I, that's something that's somewhat of interest to cyclists, and that's the, um, the issue of unhitched trailers that are parked uh, along the edge of many streets in, in the city and other areas and um, it's you know it means the cyclists have to um, go around them sometimes go out in traffic sometimes they're parked in bicycle lanes which is illegal um, and I guess the, the, the news on that is that there's a bill that would basically prohibit them unless they're being authorized by the city um, that passed the state assembly and it's now going to state senate so that is um, that's something to keep an eye on. Um, they would change the rules so that instead of a city having to fight these things a trailer at a time, the cities would have the authority to um, just just say no. And uh, and then if there was a place that they wanted to allow them, that they could do that. That's my understanding. So I know that's uh, an issue of great annoyance to cyclists. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also a safety issue, especially when when it's windy and they blow over, and then then it's even a worse of a hazard. Um, also, the street doesn't get swept where there is street sweeping because uh, they have to go, you know, they have to avoid where those trailers are. So,
2: what, what so, trailers are you talking about? Which I mean, these trailers that
0: they're they're unhitched. They're advertising signs that are on. Two wheels, and they pull them up and park them next to the curbs, and then leave them. Mm-hmm. For uh, you know, they're allowed to park up to seventy-two hours, but many of them are left lot much longer than seventy-two hours. Many of them are cited, but the you know the uh, they don't get towed away until after I understand the fifth citation. So mm-hmm. the um, promoters uh, of these uh, advertising signs, you know, keep track, and when they get the fourth citation, and then, then they move them. Uh-huh. So okay. it's it's really a a waste of time for um, you know the enforcement personnel to have to deal with this situation, and it's an unnecessary hazard for cyclists, and uh, it's a blight on the on the neighborhoods as well. So for all those reasons, um, hopefully the bill will get through the state senate and signed by the governor, and, and that will allow all cities in California to to uh, take action to remove these from our streets.
2: And where the original
0: uh, bill come from? I was introduced by two uh, local Assembly members, um, Assembly Member Fuhrer and Assembly Member Blumenthal, and they're they're from the Los Angeles area.
2: Okay, well, I want to thank you, Glenn, for being on top of everything that's related to bikes in L.A. and you're in the L.A. BAC. I,
0: I, try. <laughs> I try. Thank you very much. Okay, thank right. you. Have a good day.
2: That was Glenn Bailey, chairperson of the LABAC, Los Angeles Bicycle Advisory Committee. They have a lot to say on uh, bikes in the city. So I'm going to have a musical break, and then we're going to go to Dorothy Lay of the LABAC.
7: What's she saying? So, when you get to be grown up, what you wanna be? I said, hey mama, hey mama, don't wanna be no doctor man. Oh no no no, no, no politician, no movie star, cause all these things we got Now there's a job I'd like to have that oh, yeah. you can never be What's that? to be folded to a chrome frame and be a bicycle seat. Life would be all so sweet If I was a bicycle seat Ride, ride, little cheek Sit on me, I'm a bicycle seat No more hustle, no more deals No more trying to sneak those bills No more cruising on cosmic raps No more standing for those little lies No more hacking at little bums No more chasing after mums No more would you like to dance No more I just need the chance Everything I really need
2: is riding round upon a seat. No more to go to waste. We're impressed against my face. Life would be your soul. Okay, so we are on the phone with Dorothy Le of the LABA. I'm sorry, the LAB. Let me try that again. Dorothy, how do you pronounce your last name?
8: Le.
2: We're on the phone with Dorothy Le of the LABAC. Damn it. L-A-C-B-C. We're on the phone with Dorothy La of the LACBC, and how you doing, Dorothy?
8: I'm good. I'm good. I'm in San Diego actually at a student convergence, and they're talking about abolishing corporate uh, personhood. So it's kind of exciting. So um, this campaign called the Ultimate Civics Campaign.
2: That sounds amazing. That's been that's been an issue since the the late 1800s. I mean,
8: uh, yeah, 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 definitely.
2: Um, so can you uh can you tell us what's been going on with the LACBC and, and their work and bikes recently?
8: Yeah, yeah. Good that you called. Um, it's been really exciting. This week was um I'm sure from last week Arisha talked about the ten percent major campaign. So this week, um we were continuing um actions on that campaign to um guarantee um 10 of our um, local return funds from Measure R for um, bicycles and pedestrians. And we had a big city council meeting um, on Wednesday in which um, it was pretty dramatic, but in the end the city, LA City Council voted 11 to 3 to um, support the full 10% for bicyclists and pedestrians. And, um, and actually we had a budget and finance committee meeting um, right after that um, the next day. Um, and um, it, it also um, went through. So I really feel confident that we're going to be able to get a really good amount of money for okay. bicyclists and pedestrians in the future, um, in the near future, in 2010, 2011. And this is a really um, important change and says that our city is committed to tangibly um, giving money towards um, non-motorized transportation, which we're really excited about and really happy that people are so supportive. People sent letters. We saw that people called the um, council members. So it really um, got people out and got people excited. So we're yeah. really excited about that.
2: Well, I just talked to the chair of the LABAC, Glenn Bailey, about that. And
6: Oh, you did? Yeah. Oh, good. And
2: okay, cool. So, yeah, he, he told me his perspective about it, and I was wondering if you could tell me what you think the changes are going to be in the city that we'll be able to actually witness.
8: Yeah, totally. Well, there's a lot of, um, you know, small, there's a lot of projects out there that this money can fund. Um, because it's only $3 million, so um, it's not, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars. But I think just stuff that can be done today, so um, bike lanes and bike racks and um, some of the sort of bike boulevard things happening in the city, as well as, you um, putting in um, some signage and some and some improvements for some of the bike paths. So it's just a lot of ready-to-go projects that I think the money can um, fund and sidewalk improvements and pavement things. So um, we're really looking forward to some of the, the um, projects that we've been sort of pushing for, which are um, bike lanes in um, sort of the central part of Los Angeles and um, – And uh, the 4th Street Bike Boulevard. What is the uh, central
2: part of Los Angeles consist of? Oh,
8: I'm talking about, um, you know, like downtown and um, Silver Lake and Echo Park and Mm -hmm. um, uh, Koreatown, because that's where a a lot of concentrated cyclists are. So Mm -hmm. we want to see some bike lanes in in those areas.
2: Great, yeah. and and uh, you have other projects that you're that you're.
8: Yeah, yeah. So today's well, today's May Day, so it represents a lot of different things. But um, go workers. Um, but also um, May is um int- uh, is also um a bike a bike month. So there's a lot of stuff happening with um bike to school or bike to work day, which is May 20th, and bike to school day, which is May 21st. And there's a bunch of events happening. All over in, um, Los Angeles County, from Glendale to Culver City to Long Beach, um, there are bike rides. And there's a bike fest May 8th and 9th in Long Beach. There's um, a, a historical ride actually today in Glendale happening. So check out um, our calendar and various calendars um, to see all the events that are happening all across the county for bikes.
2: And it's LACBC, the website?
8: Um, LA-bikes.org.
2: And well, thanks a lot. I know you're busy. You're in the, the conference right now. So, is there anything else you want to say, or shall we just let you go back?
8: Oh no. Um. Thanks for the call. And um. Yeah. Just uh, let's just keep on pushing it. And I'm really seeing. Um. It was really one thing that I thought was really um inspiring. Um. If you will, at the city council meetings, was it really solidified who was willing to put their name out there for bicyclists. And, mm-hmm. I mean, the, the names that come out are um, Councilmember Correct, Rosendahl, Alarcone, Alarcon, um, and Garcetti. So um, those are the ones that we really, um, you know, they're they're really willing to put their their names out there. So that's really exciting.
2: Yeah, we have a, a, a big bike advocate city council, I think. And what about LaVange? Was he there? Sure. Uh,
8: LaVange is there. I... He, yeah, he's definitely supportive, um, but um, I would say that, um, you know, we need to push him a little harder, I think, because um, I think he, he's only supportive if others are supportive also okay. for certain things, especially with money. So mm-hmm. okay. And we definitely know we need to push Park, Smith, and Perry a lot harder.
2: Okay, well, we'll work on that. Yeah. Okay, thanks, Dorothy.
8: Thank you. Bye. Bye.
2: That was Dorothy Love, the C We're going to have Stephen Box calling in in a minute. Stephen's a big bicycle advocate in L.A. He's, he's involved in a lot of stuff, a lot of things. And we can listen to a little bike music in the meantime.
9: Got a man in China who said he get some cheaply. It's got a magic candle, it's got a chrome defender, it's got a sprocket carton, it's got some superpowers. What a pretty bicycle she said. I want one just like that. What a pretty bicycle she said. I want one just like that 15 babies, there's not a girl among them He's got superpowers, he's got superpowers What a pretty sound, he said I, I want one just like that a pretty sound, he said I, I want one just like that
2: Stephen Box, he's a bike advocate activist in LA. And how you doing, Stephen? Good.
10: How you guys doing?
2: Real good. It's just me today, but doing good. Happy May Day.
10: Happy May Day. Is everyone out riding on the May Day uh, event?
2: Uh, seems like it to me. Everybody. A lot of people I know.
10: Excellent.
2: Um, so, how about you?
10: Well, I'm down here at the Los Angeles Neighborhood Council Coalition. I just stepped out for a few so we could talk uh, bikes for a few. Uh huh. And
2: um What's going on so at, the, you, at the meeting?
10: Well, uh, you know, this is a... The city of L.A. Is in a budget crisis, so um, we've been at city council all week long on the city budget. And, of course, here we are on a Saturday, neighborhood council representatives from around the city over here at the Hollywood City Hall, and we're engaged in uh, discussion on uh, the budget, the future of L.A., and how we're going to uh, become a great city. And mm-hmm. so along the way... Um, the subject of vision comes up, and as you recall from last year, the whole Measure Our campaign was a vision for transportation. Mm-hmm. And that $40 billion over 30 years is now being compressed into 10 years of transportation work, which has the potential to put a lot of people to work and really improve the transportation scene here in Los Angeles. And part of that deal was that. Uh, local communities will get 15% of the big budget to apply wherever they want. And so uh, over the last year there's been a bit of a discussion of where the cyclists fit into this whole funding scheme. And so I've been um, you know, fairly active not just working on Measure R last year, or I guess two years ago next, it was 2008, to get Measure R passed, but also to navigate the journey so that um, you know cyclists don't get lost in these billion-dollar you know, freeway widening, widening projects or billion-dollar bridge projects. And um, mm-hmm. so I, I suppose you've been chatting a bit about the 10% set yeah. aside.
2: Yeah, what was your, I think you might have a conflicting view. Is, is that possible? Well, I
10: mean, um, yeah, I actually, I, I don't know if it's conflicting. It's just an, uh, another way of looking at things. Mm-hmm. You know, I've been involved, and I've, I was there when they uh, did the Breaking bad track. math. They, give, they, they set aside 10% of net as opposed to 10% of gross Mm -hmm. for cyclists. And so, you know, I've been around kind of fighting for some of those nips and tucks on the 10% percent set aside. But philosophically speaking, I'm kind of opposed to set-asides. And the reason for this is, as I think um, Mary Nichols of uh, – I think she put it – you know, when we have set-asides, we kind of ghettoize a mode. And I actually don't think philosophically – It's a great idea to keep having set-asides for different modes. Can
2: you explain set-asides?
10: Well, sure. Uh, We'll put 5% over here for pedestrians. We'll put 5% over here for cyclists. We'll put, you know, X% over here for... I think that a robust transportation system should accommodate all modes of transportation. And if we start separating and leaving each mode with its own fund, what happens is you end up with projects that get completed but have neglected one or two modes. For example, the Expo line had separated the cyclists. So they're building an Expo line, which means they're putting a billion dollars worth of transportation work down you know, from east side to west side. Mm -hmm. But the cyclists are on their own to navigate the journey, which means that we end up with something called the Gulch in one area. And and I don't know when Gulch became a transportation uh, term, Mm -hmm. but what, what it means is that cyclists end up arguing for what's left over when everything else is done. And that's why we have a bike path in Silmar, but can't you know? But, but can't get Venice and, and Wilshire and Santa Monica resurfaced so that cyclists can ride the curb lane. Mm-hmm. So you see, if we had a robust standard that included all modes in some fashion, whatever is appropriate for the circumstances. For example, in Figaro it might be a, a, a road diet, uh, as opposed to Wilshire and, and Westwood, it might be a unique engineering solution to get cyclists through that whole. Uh, 405 interchange uh, area what, there. I'm
2: sorry, what's a road diet?
10: A road diet is where you take an overly wide street that encourages fast traffic, unnecessarily fast traffic, and you reduce the width of the street so that it's easier for pedestrians to cross the street so that it slows traffic down so that it's, it's uh, more appropriate for the environment. Mm-hmm. Because Wilshire Boulevard is completely different than Fig. Fig is a residential community without, and it doesn't have the heavy traffic volume. So why do they have a wide street it allows people to take, you know, curves and corners at speed. A road diet would be um, uh, enhancements, engineering solutions mm-hmm. that slow traffic down so that it feels comfortable for the community. You know, that's where people live. Kids are going to school. There's a playground. People are shopping. They're walking home. They're riding their bicycles. So why do you want that to have 55 and mile an hour, 45 to 55-mile-an-hour uh, 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 speed limits like you do on some of the uh, North Valley, for example? You've got a bike lane on Reseda. And you've got uh, traffic that's barreling up into the hip, uh, you know up north, and you've got uh, speed limits up to fifty miles an hour alongside of a bike lane. So this is just bad mm-hmm. for humans. Period. Mm-hmm.
2: So you're um, saying you're saying put the bike money into the money for the for just make everything you do consider every form of transportation.
10: Correct. That's the federal and state standards of you know complete streets or shared streets. Is that we include accommodations for all people at the beginning of the planning process. Mm -hmm. What you have now is that cyclists are constantly looking at streets that get resurfaced and saying, gosh, wouldn't we have fit on here quite nicely? For example, it's Panga Canyon. Why do you have a a peak hour parking lane that could have been a nice, you know, they could calm that street down. It's Panga Canyon. Mm -hmm. It's already been, by the way, it's Panga Canyon Boulevard over in, in the valley. It's already been engineered, and the money's already set aside for bike lanes. But the Department of Transportation wants to put in peak hour parking, which means that people park in that lane, Except during, um, I Except during um, rush hour when it turns into another traffic lane. The problem with that is you can't stripe it for bike lanes because you know it, it, sometimes it's parking and sometimes it's traffic, and you can't put down cherrys because sometimes the shero would be out in the second lane rather than the curb lane. So when it, when you have a variable condition like that, it just leaves cyclists uh, excluded from the form. Mm-hmm.
2: So you know what are the chance? What is the chance of? people listening to you and and doing that. I mean, anytime soon. Oh, I guess that was an inappropriate question. What happened to Steve? All right. That was a good question. All right, hold on. Well, we lost Steve Box. Um, I'll try him again. Let
10: me put on some music. Hey, Steve. Hey, sorry I got cut off there by the uh, Department of Transportation, I guess.
2: Oh. Do <laughs> you think that they're, that they're listening to us?
10: <laughs> I know they do. Oh. Um, I think I uh, dropped there when I was saying, can you imagine a transportation environment where every time we considered any uh, improvements, whether it was just maintenance, repairs, or whether we considered a new project that we started off by saying, how do people fit into this? Mm-hmm. Where do the cyclists go? Mm-hmm. And work their way up from a hierarchy of people uh, before we lay down all of the limitations that prevent us from including people at the end of the project. Right. And I think that would be a worthy goal for us to work toward.
2: Well, that's interesting. Have you... Have you talked to, who have you talked to about this? Who knows about
10: this? Well, I mean, I presented this to the Metro, and the Metro, of course, was the, uh, you know, the facilitator of the Measure Our money, um, a countywide facility. I've, I've mentioned this to the Southern California Association of Governments, which is a multi-county regional uh, planning organization. I have uh, brought this up at the Southern, um, Caltrans, the California State Transportation um, Department of Transportation, and that's two counties. L.A. County and Ventura County. It's a it's a big move. It's a, it's a large shift in the way we do things. Keep in mind that by taking a small amount of change and setting it aside, you're also setting aside the mode. And I don't know how you feel about that, but seriously, can, can I don't want to be set aside. Huh? Can you explain that? Well, we, we, it moves it moves us off the main plan, planning table mm-hmm. and into a separate department. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be set aside. Mm-hmm. I want to be part of the planning for the main project. I don't want to be an afterthought. I don't want to be considered, if there's any room left over, to consider cyclists. I want cyclists to be, first and foremost, right up front. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to be fighting after the project is done, like over at Hollywood and Vine, saying, hey, how about a bike rack? Um, I don't want to be fighting after the fact, you know, on Wilshire Boulevard, hey, how do we cross the street? Yeah, you know, they've got double right turn lanes over on Westwood, uh, uh, over on Wilshire Boulevard, just past Westwood, uh, approaching the 405. Cyclists that are in the curb lane find themselves with no way to get across there because they've got two lanes of traffic on their left passing at speed onto the freeway and turning onto the freeway. And when they when we ask the Caltrans engineers, well, then how do they, how, where would the cyclists go? Because what you need to do is you need to stripe it and move the cyclists over one block ahead of time. It should be over two two lanes over, one block ahead of time. But if you don't communicate that clearly, how would people know? And and, and here's the funny thing. We we put signs up for for motorists everywhere. There's no shortage of signs telling motorists where to park, which lane, what off-ramp, what goes where. Yet for cyclists, even something as simple as signage is an afterthought. And no longer should cyclists be an afterthought a set-aside, uh, if there's room, we'll think of you. That's just inappropriate, unacceptable, and that's what I think should change. So, on the one hand, it's a great victory, the 10% set-aside. By the way, that was part of the formula from the beginning. Um, and, you know, there's uh, 88 communities plus the county that are sharing in the Measure R funds. And so one way to appease the local communities, you know, that may or may not get a large rail project going through their community was to set-aside uh, money. For those local communities, that's where the 15% comes from. And of the 15, cyclists and pedestrians were asking for 10%. So you can see smaller and smaller amounts are being set aside mm-hmm. to pacify a user group. And I don't think we should be getting pacified. I think that we should be front and center, part of the, part of the transportation system.
11: Well,
2: I'm about to talk to um, Damian Newton of Street Spark, L.A. Is there anything that you would like to ask him or Damian? talk about? Damian? Yeah.
10: Well, I mean, you know, he'll have, uh, he'll probably um, have uh, strong opinions on Measure R funding also. Um, I don't think he's as philosoph- philosophical and idealistic as I am about the uh, Measure R funds specifically and set-asides in general. And, uh, in fact, I think his campaign was to get 1% um, of uh, total funds. In other words, we keep playing with these percentages. <laughs> so, but he and I, you know, uh, we are on opposite sides when it comes to this. Um, to my perspective that uh, cyclists shouldn't be set aside, but should be an integral part of the transportation system, transportation planning, transportation mm-hmm. funding, transportation maintenance transportation operation getting around
2: well it's it's an interesting concept I mean it, it, I was thinking imagine applying it to like the Department of, of War or defense or whatever you know if, if they if every war they had they considered education and and, and our public space and um, social services
10: well that's an interesting point Nick and I'll tell you this I just did a presentation at Caltrans. And I pointed out that we always think of transportation projects, and, and you've changed the, the paradigm now to,
8: to war, the
10: Department of War. But imagine if we thought of things in terms of um, the many layers of participation. For example, there's the, um, we always think of infrastructure as being something that's either cement or, or steel or you know, asphalt, but it's something that you build. And I think it's something that you build, but I think that we forget that there's such a thing as human infrastructure. And this applies to your war metaphor also. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's also something called social infrastructure. So it's not just the hearts and minds of individuals, but collectively what are we doing socially to build infrastructure. In other words, social mores, the belief system, attitudes of our culture our social infrastructure. And these are absolutely powerful uh, forms of infrastructure, much more powerful than a bridge or an on-ramp or a stripe you know, shero.
2: What What's an example of social infrastructure?
10: Social infrastructure is uh, motorists honking at cyclists and thinking they don't belong on the streets. Mm-hmm. So if we could, if we could affect the, 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 the attitudes of individuals, which is human infrastructure, mm-hmm. and start getting into social structure where our communities start demanding certain things like traffic calming instead of traffic speed. Mm-hmm. So you see, we're starting to cross over into how does our community behave? How does our so how does our society behave? Why do we tolerate crime in certain communities but not in others? Mm-hmm. And that's social infrastructure because it's something that you can't buy, you can't order some from a you know uh, from a mixer that comes and drops it off on the corner. It's something that's built slowly and it's really powerful. Uh, why is it that crime goes down in some communities? Why is it that some communities uh, respond with community um, uh, projects? In other words, why is it some neighborhoods? Uh, <laughs> have more participation um, from the community? Why is there more ownership in the sense of taking responsibility for what's going on? Why is it some neighborhoods vote more than other neighborhoods? Why is it some neighborhoods are more optimistic and idealistic? Uh, Why is it some neighborhoods have a greater expectation from their leadership than other neighborhoods? And that's social infrastructure. When we start affecting, um, you know, if you think think how in generation our attitudes have changed dramatically with regards to the environment... That's social infrastructure. That starts to change demand. Kids are the ones that told their parents to stop smoking. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, smoking's a big, uh, a, a big analogy
10: for a lot of things. For yeah, so that's education. an example of social infrastructure. It's no longer appropriate. It's just a bad idea. Why are you smoking? You know, in, in this social event, you know, there are kids here. There are other people. Why are you trying? So right. you see, when we start applying social infrastructure. You know, with this oil spill off the shore, uh, this offshore oil spill, mm-hmm. we're going to start seeing that, okay, you know what, it was theoretical and philosophical, but now you screwed up another, you know, significant uh, area of our country with oil. You know, now you put an Exxon really close to home. Yeah. And, and you see, that's going to start affecting attitudes of individuals. Collective social uh, infrastructure right. is our society saying, you know what, no longer is it acceptable for you to do whatever you want and apologize after. So So that's when laws start to change, which is political infrastructure, Mm -hmm. because we start changing law. So do you see how different layers of infrastructure, they're not just, it's not just cement. So as you said with war, can you imagine if we settled strife, not by dropping engineering infrastructure, you know, bombs, but what if we started working on individuals and started working on social infrastructure and political infrastructure and actually started developing relationships Mm -hmm. that were codified with law? Who were enforced by the law, but didn't require cement or bombs, you know, or engineering infrastructure right. that's destroying our uh, our communities.
2: So, so just real quickly, uh, since I want to get to Damian Newton, he's trying to call in. Um, are, can you can you think of an example of some social infrastructure work that's being done now that people can get involved in if they're listening?
10: Infrastructure, absolutely, you know, Bike Side will be uh, convening. Uh, Soon in the next uh, two weeks, a meeting for Bikeside.
2: Can you can you tell us what that is?
10: Bikeside is uh, uh, Alex Thompson's 501c4. It's uh, 501c4 is advocacy. 501c3 is uh, education. So 501c4 is your only bike advocacy uh, movement in Southern California right now. Mm-hmm. so 501c4 and its first public meeting is coming up, and we'll be addressing a half dozen dozen things, including the upcoming bike plan. The backbone, bikeway, network, mm-hmm. um, opportunities to get involved in advocacy. And so this is probably your best shot for uh, getting involved in social infrastructure. So if you want to get involved in changing the world and you want to do it in a way that's sustainable, uh, social infrastructure is the opportunity to uh, put, your, put your cycling to work, uh, not just getting from point A to point B or having a good time doing it. But actually, uh, leaving behind an impact that encourages others to ride their bikes, that encourages our communities to be more accommodating for cyclists, and then encourages the integration of cyclists into the uh, fabric of our communities.
2: And the and the website and the first meeting, or the next Web, meeting?
10: Uh, just 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 uh, hit uh, bike side, and you'll come to the website. Okay. Well, okay, we'll look there for
2: the for the times of the meetings if, we're, if we can make it. And um, so I'm going to talk to
10: Damian Newton now. See, I was stalling, Steve, just to punish uh, Damien. <laughs> That's nice. <laughs> well, say hey to Damien for I me. Will. And okay. you guys, uh, have a good day. Thanks a lot. You too. All right. to All right. All right.
2: All right. All right. And that was Steve Box, L.A. bike advocate and activist. We're waiting for a call now from Damien Newton of L.A. Streets Bog. Uh, LA streets blog is one of the streets blogs they have them in New York San Francisco and um, they they cover everything that has to do with politics regarding bikes advocacy and he knows a lot about what's going on so we can talk to him about measure R and what he thinks about set asides, as Stephen Box said or whether they should integrate bike Funding into other projects. Um, Let's go to music. Hey, Damien. Okay, um, so we're going to have Damien calling in in just a second. Damien.
11: Hey, so should I start over?
2: <laughs> yeah. So what, uh, what's up, Damien? Did you hear the? you heard some of the talk with Stephen Box? Yes,
11: I, I was I, I was saying this on your cell phone because I called the wrong number. But no, I usually try not to listen to the speakers that are on right before me, so I don't end up just responding to what they say and then... They're already off, so they don't get a chance to respond to what I say. But, you know, I hear it's Stephen Bach, and I just have to turn on my computer right away and listen in.
6: Mm-hmm.
11: But, uh, as I said, if, since he uh, even though he's a board member, he didn't have the address for the website offhand. It's org. Thank you. Yeah. I'm ensuring that I'm going to get a phone call as soon as I hang up the phone. Well, I'm sure <laughs> he'll appreciate it. <laughs> he will. He will. Stephen and, and I are good friends. But uh, we like to tweak each other every now and then.
2: Well, he had an interesting insight into the uh, the Measure R funding and, and about how he thinks, you know, it, it shouldn't be set aside, but it should be all integrated.
11: Yes, I actually agree with him on that point. I would much rather see the city every time it does a road project integrate bicycle and pedestrian infrastructure into it to make sure that the project is meeting the needs of both commuters and the community. Uh, the reality is they're not doing that and we haven't seen an effort on their hand, uh, effort by the city to move towards doing that. Everything's always been segregated. So while I agree with him on that, and I'd love the city to see the, city, see the city start to do that, and I've been encouraging them to do that, uh, in the meantime uh, I want to get money to get some of these projects going. It's sort of the analogy I always use is it's uh, two strategies towards the t- same goal. If it were football, It'd be the difference between trying to slowly move the ball downfield with a lot of running plays versus going for the long bomb. Mm-hmm. Uh, the goals end up in the end zone, and the end zone is streets that work for all users. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just today we gained. Uh, this week we gained five yards and maybe a first down instead of uh, instead of getting the score.
2: Okay. Well, you got the first down.
11: <laughs> it's a step in the right direction, but we're uh, we got we had a lot of field to cover, so to speak. But uh, that being said, I was pretty uh, I was pretty encouraged. Uh, that the set-aside went through for both bicycle school and pedestrian projects. I was pretty encouraged also because this might seem weird. There was a pushback by some council members in this, uh, arguing that for budgetary needs we shouldn't be doing set-asides. Uh, and we saw a lot of council members go on the record saying, no, we have not been serving these communities. We need to start doing more. Uh, and then voting. For, then voting. Uh, and so we saw them saying, actually taking money that probably would have been used for road projects, probably would have been used for the kind of projects we don't like, and saying, no, we're going to take it from those projects and we're going to give it to make sure our streets are safe and accommodating for bicyclists and pedestrians. Now, you know, we're talking for 2011, starting in July, July to July, we're talking about, like, $5 million. And then the years after that, we're talking 3 or $4 million. So it's not like this money is going to save the city. Mm-hmm. But it's really the first time the city's taken its funds of any sort, and actually dedicated it towards these kind of projects. You'll see them dedicated towards Dash, which is a good program. You'll see it dedicated towards other things. But you, this is the first time we've seen no this money every year, assuming they don't change their minds and make a new vote. That this money is for our cyclists. This money is for our pedestrians. And that's a encouraging step. It's, it's not the end all be all. It's not the not the touchdown. We haven't we haven't won to the point where we can throw the big party. But, we've, uh, but this was a good week.
2: So this is every year. I mean, this is this is forever.
11: Uh, well, measure will last thirty years. Uh, the vote the city council took said that uh, dedicated the money for the next. I believe the next fiscal year or two. However, the way that the proposal was worded was unless they vote to change it, uh, it will stay dedicated. It's just that they voted to review it again. In other words, in a year from now, they're going to look and make sure that the money was spent correctly because. This was sort of unbelievable. The city council, the LADOT's rep to the meeting said repeatedly he wasn't sure they were going to be able to spend all the money in a year. Like, there's not enough bicycle projects, there's not enough broken intersections, there's not enough failing crosswalks, there's not enough broken sidewalks to spend $5 million in a year. It was just, like, bizarro. Uh, So the city council wanted to make sure that the money was actually going to be spent on bicycle and pedestrian projects. We had enough projects to do it. Uh, which was a little surprising. Like, how could we not? Um, but uh, the way the word, the way the wording was, was okay. unless they take a vote and change their mind, this money is going to go towards bicycle and pedestrian projects. Obviously, mean, like anything in the budget, yeah. any set aside in the budget, can be changed by a vote of the elected officials, unless it was a constitutional amendment of some sort. Uh, and this is uh, well short of that, but uh, mm-hmm. but no, it was it was encouraging, and it would be. I think it would be difficult if these projects are actually put on the ground. It would be very, very, very difficult for a city council to say no, no. We want to go back to the we want to go back to the old way of doing business, where right. everything's for the highways. And, uh, and I
2: remember uh, Eric Garcetti once saying that the bike uh, coalition in LA is the constituency is the as the only group more active politically is homeowners.
11: Uh, I would argue teachers might beat us too, but we're uh, we're certainly in the top.
6: Teachers, yeah.
11: <laughs> but we, uh, yes, you know, so I said. You know, the, the bike coalition did a great job of turning people out. And the interesting thing about this is a lot of people that don't always work together or necessarily get along were involved in getting this done. You know, I know Steven, who was on earlier. Uh, doesn't have a have a love loss to the bike coalition, but uh, at a couple points during the thing, he came in with a level of expertise and lobbying knowledge and sort of work in some DOT efforts that would have blunted the amount of money that was going towards this. Um, and, you know, this isn't even something that's very high on his agenda, but this was really a all-hands-on-deck effort to get this done right. What, what kind uh, of you know, and we're yeah. talking a couple million dollars a year, and it took an all-hands-on-deck effort. That being said, uh, I would much rather have won than not.
2: Yeah. Well, it sounds like that's going to be – it is going to make a big difference. If it's thank
11: it takes 30,000 miles to paint a bike lane if you don't have to take any property to do it. So what's a million dollars worth worth of bike lanes? That's 30 miles. Uh, You know, New York City might scoff at that, but if we were painting 30 miles of bike lane a year over the next 10 years, you know, by the time my kid's 11 years old and biking around to the beach and stuff like that without his parents, you know, hovering right behind him watching him, that's going to be a lot more bike lanes for him.
2: Right. Um... And how old will your kid be then?
11: Eleven. <laughs> I'm trusting. Uh, I I assume he'll be on his own bike by the time he's four. You know, we'll be biking to school every day. That's one of the reasons we moved where we are, so that we could bike to a uh, bike to a school where he could. Or excuse me, we could have easy bike and walk pedestrian access to a, a bunch of good public schools.
2: Is that the the ultimate in what we want? Uh, bike lanes. Is there something?
11: Um. No. Beyond? You know. It's um. The previews we've seen of the upcoming bike plan that we're going to apparently see sometime in April, which is really discouraging because it's May and we haven't seen it yet. But the preview we saw at the Bike Summit, we talked about a whole section at the end of what they're going to be calling non-standard design. And those are sort of the gold standard bicycling projects. And Bike Corrals, which I don't know if you talked about beforehand because I only caught the end of Steve's season.
2: I did. We but, talked about it with uh, Glenn Bailey.
11: Oh, great. But Bike Corrals is one of the things in there. So we're starting to see... The city embraced some of these uh, some of these things. But uh, in those things you have the separated bike lanes. You have the bike boulevards, you know, real bike boulevards with bollards and traffic calming and, and traffic circles and all of that sort of stuff. All those types of things, the things we're seeing in Long Beach and New York and that we've always talked about in Portland, those types of things are all in the bike plan. They're not in it for specific areas, which is a disappointment. But if you have city council people willing to push the envelope and say this is what we want, um, you're probably going to get it, which is what we saw with bike corrals. Uh, the, the bike coalition again, and cycle, and I don't know if Bikeside was involved or just some of their individual members, but again, a lot of people came together. Councilman member Reyes really got had the vision for it. Local businesses were involved, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden, you had a coalition pushing this. Uh, sort of the dream in my head of what I'd like to see next, as far as the non-standard ones, is I want to see the. Uh, the bike lane that's down on Washington Boulevard that connects the, uh, the beach going outwards towards uh, towards the bike paths that are there. I want to see that turned into a separated bike lane where you basically, all you do is you put up a very little bit of uh, protection, just enough so that you know people know that there's something there, and you switch the car lane and the bike lane, and all of a sudden the bikes have their own space that's actually separated from the street And all of those little shops that are on there along that area where people like to walk, you know, if they're coming home from the beach or just taking a break would have a low level of buffer between them and all the traffic that's on Washington Boulevard. So it's a win for for everybody, but it's just not something people in the city have thought about. And the reason I put that so high on the list when it seems like it's something for tourists and all that is it's right in Bill Rosendahl's district, who's our city council transportation committee chair, And if we can start giving him, he's been talking good on bikes, he's he's stuck up for bike corrals. he's stuck up for the 5% funding, excuse me, 10% funding for bicycle and pedestrians, but uh, let's give him a little vision of what he can see in his district. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think once we start making those small little little changes in different districts, we're going to start seeing what they saw in New York, which is once the boulder starts rolling down the hill, it's moving and Mm -hmm. it's not going to stop.
2: And this is a sign of the boulder moving, rolling down the hill. Of, yeah,
11: you yeah. the other thing, and, and I, I talked about this on Streetsblog, and I started to talk about it with friends, and they've been picking up on this, is uh, I don't know if people have noticed this, but in the past month, I think the mayor has said the word bicycle in public speeches more than he has the first five and a half, six years that he's been in office. Wow. Um, and I, I hear rumors that we're going to get some really good news out of him concerning the uh, closed street parties on Sundays, the Ciclovias, but... I, I don't have anything definitive. I've just heard good rumors. Okay. Uh, you know, his office really helped save the 10% set aside for bicycle and pedestrian funding and committee. Uh, it was looking, there were five, six people voting. We had a two-to-two vote sort of scribbled out on the paper. It sounded like Tom LeBond was beginning to waver on it. Uh, and he asked for the mayor's office to come up and say their thing. And Jaime De La Vega gave the most convincing case for a set aside that I had heard anyone give. Uh, that wasn't a bike advocate. He's the deputy mayor for transportation, the one who famously drives a Hummer. Oh. Uh, and uh, and then the mayor's talking up the importance of bicycling in a state of the city. He's talking it up in his... Uh,
2: hold, hold on, his, Damien, I'm getting okay. a siren here. Oh, okay.
11: Yeah, he's talking up bicycling and walking in a state of the city. He's talking it up in a state of clean air. Uh, At a, a press event he did this week because it was revealed that, wow uh los Angeles' smog is reduced by 25 percent from where it was 10 years ago we're still the smoggiest city in america
6: really
2: but he's
11: talking up yeah he's talking up walking and bicycling there too like all of a sudden he's talking the talk uh and i know it's i mean we're talking you know bike corrals and a couple million dollars a year as far as walking the walk but uh, i rarely see that transition from not mentioning something at all to all of a sudden completely embracing it so we could be uh we could be, uh, you know, and I'm not saying we are. I'm just saying it, if things continue to go the way they've been going the past week, the past month, is things could start happening here, mm-hmm. and it could be really exciting. And our, unfortunately, our big impediment is the Los Angeles Department of Transportation, who, uh-huh. to, who tried to water down the bike corral motion and who seemed absolutely clueless up on the witness stand or I guess they don't call it a witness stand uh, for the city council, but I'm going to call it that and people will know what I mean. Yeah. Up on the podium, right. uh seem clueless about what, uh, whether or not we'd be able to spend $5 million on uh, bicycle and pedestrian projects in the wow. entire city of Los Angeles within a year.
2: So we really have to keep the pressure on. Is that Michelle Mowry up there on the witness stand?
11: It was not. It was uh, it was a level above her. The, it was a guy named Mike Uyeno who's actually retiring in July. Um, uh, the pressure needs to be, continue to be at the top. So Rita Robinson, some of the top deputies. I imagine there's going to be some shuffling of responsibilities because they don't have the money to hire a bunch of new people at the hot top. So it's going to be sort of a, a story that I'm going to try to cover on Streets Blog, but it's it's hard to sort of cover, like, new hires uh, in departments because, it, you know, there's no press release put out and you really have to have your ear to the ground. We're going to try and cover that because there's going to be a lot of promotions and that going on at DOT in response to... Uh, the furloughs and the people that are retiring, taking the retirement package, the city's offering to cut their budget. And there's going to be a lot of new, of shuffling of the deck. And if the right people happen to move into the right places, it could be exciting. If the wrong people move into the right places, it could be uh, more of the same, where you're more constantly fighting about speed limit increases and, you know, $5 million of curb cuts or something like that.
2: Uh, So is there any... um is there any uh, organization to try to keep the pressure on to maybe have some bike advocates put into those positions?
11: Um, I don't know that everyone's been pushing specifically bike advocates, and I think it would actually be a mistake for us to say bike advocates, bike advocates, bike advocates for this, because there's a lot of smart people that are in government that, that aren't necessarily bike, bike people advocates. That, that would still be able to get this. Um right. You know, I think you know New York Mayor Michael Bloomberg's like a bike hero right now because of all the things that are going on in New York. I have never in my life seen Mike Bloomberg ride a bike. He's a transit guy, right. but he gets the importance of uh, he gets the importance of uh, of moving people without necessarily being in a car, which is what's important. And once you have those people in place, you do that. Because boy, this is going to sound like a Stephen Box love fest, it's uh. not just because I think he might be listening, but. He makes the point to me often when we're discussing that. We need to move beyond being the user group that has, you know, somewhere between two and ten percent of the populace using their using their bikes to get around as opposed to recreation. And, you know, the loud user group that's trying to get what they want to being part of something larger, which is safe streets, clean streets, livable streets, whatever people want to call it, living streets um get beyond sort of being the loud minority user group into being the group that's making the case that we need streets that work for everyone um and you know you can be someone that does that and not be a bike advocate or not be someone that rides a bike just be someone that wants to wants to be able to walk their kids to school but isn't able doesn't have the the means to live in west la where or some of the other areas where that's really easy to do they'd be able to you know, go have a good school and be able to walk to it, or someone that wants to, uh, you know, be able to lock their bike up at a train station. You know, that's that's our MTA, and they've been dropping the ball on that. And they're, it doesn't, won't take, wouldn't take a bike out because they go, hey, we need to have bike parking at all these transit-oriented developments we're building. It just takes someone that, that gets that there's more to life than, than getting from place to place in their car.
2: Well, that's pretty consistent, I think, with what... Stephen Box was saying about, no, you know, we don't need stand-asides, uh, set-asides, we need to integrate. Yeah, I,
11: I would love, I would love if, the, if our, our planning and our streets and all that were done in such a way that, that we weren't fighting for a piece of the pie, uh, because ultimately it's an argument we have to get away from. Uh, but the reality is, is we weren't having any of the pie <laughs> at DOT. Mm-hmm. You know, we were getting random bike lanes going in around the city that no one knew about until they went in that weren't even existing on the bike plan, like the ones that we saw go up on Myra Boulevard and the one we saw go up at, I think it was Jefferson Boulevard, and we were getting uh, bike paths, which are, are great for what they are, but we were getting bike paths funded from money from Metro and the state, and we weren't seeing those city dollars flowing into uh, real projects to make people safer that you're commuters. You know, I mean, I see these, million, these couple million dollars, and I hear that our bike plan, the one we're going to see, is going to, Include something that looks awfully similar to what is being called now the backbone bikeway network. Uh, they're going to be calling it something like the citywide commuting network or something like that. I can't remember what it is. Uh, but you know, how are we going to how are we going to fund making those those streets better if we're not if you know assuming that there isn't a big change where all of a sudden everyone is the streets are getting the kind of design that we need. Uh, instead, we're fighting to change the on a case by case, and we're going to need money to do that. Mm-hmm.
2: Well, and we have some money.
11: We have some. We don't have a lot, but we have some. Uh, let, let's hope they don't dump it all into the Expo uh, Bikeway project or something like that.
2: Wow. So, but, but I guess we gotta keep watching
11: them. Yeah. It's it's. You know, they are due to the city council is due to come to here at some point. Uh, the DOT is going to put together a list of projects that they're going to fund with this uh, five million dollars, or three million dollars, or whatever the million amount is. It's kind of interesting because DOT keeps saying three million dollars, but the mayor's budget says five point three five million dollars. So it's like, hmm. Uh, you know, <laughs> We'll see what that uh, after the budget's passed, they'll come back with a project list for what they're going to do with that money, and that'll be that'll be interesting. Uh, you know, there's always a chance that it's it's going to become incredibly depressing, but uh, the hope is we're going to see some projects. I suspect we're going to see a lot of stuff that's in the bike plan come out of it. I suspect we're going to see like. Uh, uh, a set aside fund for uh repainting intersections or something like that you know for our pedestrians
2: um how about steven box for transportation commissioner
11: honestly that was almost my uh that was almost my april fool's day story was uh, uh-huh. it was going to be either Nt box or steven box getting hired as transportation commissioner and the other one complaining that they can't get a job there but yeah. uh i <laughs> hadn't decided which one but then we switched uh after the reception Jeanette Khan got, we gave the uh, we ended up going with the Bizarro speech that Rita Robinson would have given uh, our you know LA DOT general manager if she, uh. if she were giving a uh, keynote address to a street summit.
2: Oh, and you reported it like she actually gave it.
11: Yeah, we reported it as though she gave it in New York um, uh, at a, some small liberal arts college in New York that would be the equivalent of Occidental. And actually, the New York Streets blog guys helped me. Uh, Help me edit it down to make it uh, a little bit New York-specific so some of the readers can get a snicker out of it,
2: too. Can we see that in the archive?
11: Uh, yeah, I would bet. I don't know if I ever put down that it was in April Fool's, but if you were in a search with quotes around Rita Robinson, it would pop up. Okay.
2: And it was obviously, you know, pro cars, anti-bikes?
11: Um, yeah. More, a little bit more cluelessness, too.
2: Cluelessness,
6: yes.
11: Um. We had her uh, making fun of some of the New York projects that had been really good, like that she was driving down the separated bike lane on 8th Street in New York and didn't understand why there was furniture thrown all around the street, but she was trying to drive through uh, Times Square. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, if you want to search on la.streetsblog.org for Rita Robinson, it's the third uh, story from the top when when, when the search is done.
2: All right. Well, I think I'm wrapping it up here with you.
11: Yeah, thank you. I, uh, I appreciate it. I think this may be the longest we've talked without me in studio. So uh, Yeah. And, hey, I'll tell you, we just taught the kid how to take naps on his own without us, so nice. I'm one step closer to being able to be back in studio.
2: Well, that would be great. Sound would definitely improve. <laughs> All
11: right, great. Hey, uh, thanks for having me on, and I'll okay. talk to you again soon. Great. Thank you, Damien. Right. Right. Take, take care. Bye-bye.
2: And that would bring us towards the end of our show. I think we can stop a little bit earlier today since we've had such great interviews with LABAC chair Glenn Bailey, LACBC um, member and, um, and worker Dorothy Le, activist and advocate Stephen Box, and LA Streets Blog's Damian Newton. I'm Nick Richard. This is Bike Talk. You're listening on KPFK's podcast, if you're not listening live right now, on killradio.org. We're live every Saturday, 10 a.m. to noon, and the rest of the time, we're on podcast on kpfk.org. Thank you for listening, and you can contact us at livebiketalk at gmail.com. And stay tuned for our websites, um, labiketalk.com and .org. And if you're a web designer and you want to help out, give me a call or give me an email. All right, have a good weekend and claim your space.